In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, sacred geometry and the language of the angels. If the diagonal of a rectangle is the solar year and the base of a rectangle is a lunar year, then the rectangle would be exactly four squares long. So it's 12 lunar months for a lunar year and three vertically. And this is extraordinarily simple geometry, and it gives an extremely accurate estimate of the solar year, which they could then reproduce anywhere miles away. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes to subscribe just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get Access to Premium Episodes or 
click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. The angelic mind is founded on a deep understanding of number and the patterns they produce. These patterns provide a constructive framework for all manifested life on earth. The beauty and elegance we see in sacred geometry and in structures built according to those proportions are the language of the angels still speaking to us. This is the premise of author-researcher Richard Heath's new book, Sacred Geometry, Language of the Angels. Richard is a system designer who studies the technical achievements of the ancient world, from those of the megalithic astronomers to sacred building design. He's the author of five books, including Sacred Number and the Origins of Civilization and The Harmonic Origins of the World. Hey, Richard, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm very well. Let's begin by having you sort of disabuse us of some of the notions that we have about angels, what they are and what their purpose is. Uh, well, it's not something that, that I have direct uh, access to, uh, but I, uh, after denying, uh, uh, for a, I deliberately denied Atlantis for a long time. You know, as that's a major popular source for the ancient traditions. Um, but what I wanted to do was to have something with the evidence backing it as an origin. And so on the western seaboard of the, Atlant of the Atlantic, uh, the megalithic was particularly strong, and I've studied it for a few decades now. And in that area, I believe uh, there was a link through the astronomy to the angels who created the earth and created formed it in such a way that it follows simple numbers, numbers that are not known about today uh, by science, because our, our way of using numbers is different. So I, I studied the megalithic and found many of the numbers that are in our texts, ancient texts, and in our buildings, and also in the megalithic buildings, seem to have had their origin through the work of the megalithic people, studying astronomy and counting time. Uh, and through that, you find that coincidences occur uh, uh, between, say, Jupiter and Saturn tonight. Uh, that one happens at just less than 20 years. But there are coincidences of all sorts in the sky. Uh, and they studied them, counted them, compared them geometrically. And my point is that because my, my book says language of the uh, of the angels is geometry, my point is that the mind of the angels to get such simple solutions as the sizes of the Earth and the Moon and all these things that happened up to billions of years ago, uh, and give them a numerical character, leading to the wonderful planet we have, 
they must have uh, uh, used a language in, inherent to them to do that design work. And the megalithic people found this, discovered it, and for the first time they became, they developed, it helped them develop their mind and they are, uh, their grasp of, of using numbers. And this was crucial because by 3000 we had numerate cultures in the Middle East. And so my, my own alternative history of this is that the megalithic people created uh, a background culture uh, where numbers were significant, taken from the sky or found in the earth, and injected. This got injected uh, into the, like the stories, like um, Gilgamesh and uh, stories even as late as the Greeks, uh, which people heard, and so uh, it was part of, of a sacred culture that developed after the megalithic. Uh, without having Atlantis involved, and actually without having angels. We don't know, I mean, I can't tell whether the angels, whether they had a mental rapport with anything other than the design of the of the world. Well, you, you've, you've provided a, a wonderful overview of uh, okay. sacred geometry, language of the angels, and I'd like to circle back and touch yes. on some of those points. So you, you talk about the angelic mind differentiate between the angelic mind and the human mind? The angelic mind, uh, just by definition, is part of higher intelligence. And uh, there has to be an interface uh, between the level of the sun and the, uh, the uh, level of the earth uh, that is sometimes called the heavenly host. Uh, and they're a benign group of higher intelligences that gave form to the to the planet it, this is according to our religious documents often so that they would be like the Elohim that originally created in seven days the earth and uh, so the angelic mind they have a mind right? but the stone age person was not numerous as far as we know and, and they were developing it though with many of their patterns made on bones we can see these bones eventually being used to make uh, tallies of days, and even calendars later in Siberia being found like this. And this method of counting then seems to turn up in the megalithic period, and they are grasping uh, a, a sophisticated set of relationships, and through that their minds are being created to function more like our minds, and, and, and those minds are then minds that are created minds, whereas the minds of the angels were uh, the natural intelligences necessary in the creative process of the universe. You describe the angelic mind as kind of a top-down and the human mind as a bottom-up. Can you just elaborate That's, on that? Well, one of our strengths is that we... Uh, uh, when we come into the world, we don't have a mind. And uh, the mind grows as, as we grow uh, and as we are educated or as we uh, fit into society, whatever. Uh, and that, that sort of a mind is a bottom-up because we have to meet challenges by putting things together and synthesizing things. And so although geometry is useful, I mean, we, we actually use it for solving problems. 
we and we can know things by using a similar language uh, as would be uh, um, in, in the angelic world. But I don't, uh, it's just a necessary factor that you couldn't have created, um, let's say, the Earth and the Moon having an exact ratio of 11 to 3 unless uh, there was an intentionality behind it. Uh, and the creation of the Moon uh, was a, a creation uh, billions of years ago. And so there seems to be a greater time frame within which the angelic mind works uh, and, the, and the, the total time frame of our own emergence seems to coincide with the uh, outer planets having harmonic relationships to the moon, you know, with simple tones. Uh, none of this seems to be known uh, to us today, but maybe this was known to the Pythagoreans who uh, also were developing their minds in uh, the interface between classical Greek world and the previous heroic world of Greece. So I don't know, if that's another wide-ranging answer, pardon me. <laughs> that's all right, that's all right. You mentioned the moon, the creation of the moon. Yes. And, and it's, talk to me about the, uh, it's been described as one of the most curious celestial bodies uh, in the universe because of this remarkable relationship and synchronicities, really. Talk to me about its role, its creation, and its role in sustaining life on Earth, and then maybe some of the those remarkable synchronicities between, you know, the relationship between the yeah. Earth, the Moon, and the Sun. Yeah. The, the Moon was created, we think, uh, recently found out by scientists by collision in the early solar system. But the circumstances of this creation were remarkable because many things were given to the Earth that it wouldn't otherwise have. The moon had metals, and we wouldn't have had ages of metals on the, where surface, the surface layer had metals in it, probably. It's sometimes called um, the wedding ring of the moon. Uh, the, these evidence of uh, very big stresses on the crust of the Earth may have led to the tectonic plate system, which is very important uh, and differentiated from Mars. And Mars uh, has no big moon, but it's a similar size, uh, but it, uh, it has uh, terrible changes of its climate due to uh, its pole tipping down backwards and forwards its axis. And this means that um, you wouldn't have been able to develop the habitats and the different latitudes where, where things can happen on the Earth. The moon also creates, as, as it span out from being very close, it, it, uh, it, it took all this energy from uh, ripping up the, uh, the surface of the Earth. And then uh, the water on the Earth was um, also subject to tides. And that's very important for the evolution of life or the uh, you know, habitats for life, the, the borderlands on the coast. Uh, and so the moon's intimate with that even today. Uh, and so forth. There's a, a lot of descriptions. I put a little appendix into my book about this. And we, uh, it appears when you look at the megalithic astronomy that, that they understood then uh, that everything was related to the moon. And then at the end of the book, I talk about uh, the ideas of uh, George Gurdjieff. And in those ideas, which were traditionally passed down, presumably, uh, he he mentions uh, the moon as a comet rather than a collision, an ancient collision, because he wouldn't have known that. 
but he said that um, on planets where there is a large moon, then you get the arising of life. And because here, Gurdjieff wrote a science fiction book, an epic, because his father was uh, an epic performer. And he wrote, wrote this book uh, late in life, all, all about uh, Beelzebub's tales to his grandson. And in this, the, uh, the normal type of planet doesn't have a large moon. And all of the beings like ourselves in the uh, universe uh, are, are come off of planets that had a large moon. It's always fascinated me, the idea of our moon and how it's the moon's period of rotation and its period of revolution are, are identical. So that's why we only see one, one face of the moon. We never see the dark side of the moon. I mean, that for people to think that that's just happenstance or an, a cosmic accident is just mm. is mind-blowing. It is, and it becomes more so when you uh, look at the simple numeric and geometric uh, relationships between, like, say, the outer planets, because it's the outer planets that destabilize Mars, but the outer planets in the last 200,000 years have all together come into synchronicity with uh, three of the key musical ratios, the, uh, the whole tone, the semitone, and the chromatic semitone, and these are to high accuracy. And so for some reason, this is important for stabilizing life on the Earth, and it may mean that, that we can achieve things here that you wouldn't be able to on, a, on a, um, a purely material planet without a large moon and an ecosphere. We're talking about the Stone Age, Stone Age civilizations. They had no concept of geometry or trigonometry. How did the angels transmit this angelic number science to this pre-arithmetic Stone Age civilization using the moon. How did that well, work? I, yes, how did that work? Well, first of all, the moon is very uh, strong in the uh, Stone Age, uh, and many uh, little artifacts and things are related to the moon, maybe short uh, tallies to realize that after 59 days there are two lunar months. And so it's the visible coming of the phases that they that they were into, but then the uh, in the megalithic period they uh, uh, they were moving towards the solar year as well. And comparing one with the other, one comes up with an interesting geometry of uh, if the diagonal of a rectangle is the solar year and the base of a rectangle is a lunar year, then the uh, rectangle would be exactly four squares long and so that's and that's, so that's 12 lunar months for a lunar year and three vertically and, and this is extraordinarily simple geometry and it gives an extremely accurate estimate of the of the solar year which they could then reproduce anywhere miles away it was portable and so this type of knowledge became for thousands of years you know 2000 at least um, it, it developed, and so uh, we're a little bit. And it's been difficult to uh, to to redevelop it in studying it because none of their intellectual traditions appear to have survived. Uh, most of the art has been worn off the surface of stones, but in Karnak there's a beautiful cairn called uh, Gavrinis. It was built in the late megalithic period there. Uh, about between 3,500 and 3,000 BC. 
and in it they appear to have moved a load of stones that have been carefully etched in these lovely patterns. You can find, see them easily on the internet. And they have this uh, character then that you can interpret them. You can understand a bit of their intellectual life. So that's part of the thing that I've been doing uh, uh, to make some of my uh, attempts to reproduce the megalithic science. I have to point out that also it's a bit of a family business. My brother has uh, a number of Polish books and he's more focused on the megalithic than, than I have been. Uh, and so, uh, and then there were there was a whole scene in Britain uh, uh, which went between earth mysteries, in other words, everything that wasn't explained that came from traditional or other things you know, like ley lines, or uh, and there was a, a, a figurehead for that, really, who was publishing uh, called John Michel. And then there was another amazing character who went all over Britain. Uh, making surveys in his spare time, because he was a top scientist, surveys of the uh, the stone circles of uh, the British Isles. Uh, and he's brought so much knowledge with him. And he found uh, the megalithic yard. He found that, that uh, they seem to have used the length that was 2.7, just slightly bigger than that, feet in size. Well, my brother found out that if he started counting instead of in inches, but in, in, in and we, they were talking about the same units that we use today, they were using inches to count days, they moved to using uh, the megalithic yard to count days, and if the megalithic yard had not been exactly what it was, uh, it cancelled out a number of factors and it produced the English foot as the excess of the, of the solar year over the lunar year. Now, the, 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 uh, the English foot is the foundation of all later metrology. And so it appears that, that they were, it was being rebuilt by the megalithic people. We can't know the, any detailed history about it, but we can see the general development as they go through looking at the different cycles, um, cycles that you see all over the world noted, such as the nodal cycle of the moon, where its orbit changes uh, to being very high in the sky, to being uh, lower than the sun in the sky, over 18.6 years, the full cycle. Uh, and you find that everything's pointing to this alignments. So at the beginning of geometry, in a sense, is the alignments to the horizon, because they could only measure horizon events, generally. Uh, and uh, so they, they studied where the moon would rise and uh, set, and where the sun would rise and set, and it, it would give you a natural calendar to east for the rising and to the west for the setting. I, I was just going to do, um, back up a little bit and ask you about why the, the uh, ancients decided to encode this number science into these structures. Were they... Were they um, paying some sort of uh, tribute or homage to the sky gods or were they were they using them initially as observatories well my own opinion about this is that is that they weren't inherently superstitious or religious I mean obviously they must have had some beliefs but and I don't assume that so when these monuments start to have numbers in them if you measure them in the way that they had those measures the evidence is compelling that, that a lot of the time 
they were they they had these numbers within them because they were being used to count. So if you take a marker and you go around a circle or you go around a, the outside of a square, the perimeters of things, or if you go along an alignment towards where the sun would rise, say, at the solstice, uh, those numbers are then memorialized by equipment. They've, we should see their, mon their monuments as largely equipment, and the numbers naturally flow from the equipment because it's involved in looking at these time cycles on the horizon, and which are at different angles. So when you look at a stone circle, your stone circle is a circle. Uh, from that, you can have certain stones that symbolize the different risings and settings at different times of the year, but you also have distant views which accurately define them as well, either natural hillocks or crags uh, or um, uh, standing stones that they've erected. Uh, and so the, the, and the, the numbers that they're counting allow them to bridge between the observations. So if you start counting at one solstice, uh, the next time the same solstice occurs, you've counted the solar year. And so the, the natural thing is for their, this is what they call it, time-factored. Their monuments were time-factored, which became length, because they stored their numbers in length. And that's the origin of, of our our measures today. Originally, they were used to represent time. Remarkable, remarkable. And you and we find this same metrology employed in Karnak, in the pyramids of Giza, in the, uh, the 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 mosques, the great cathedrals of Europe, everywhere. It's yes. consistent, right? It is. It always turns up with the same number code and the same units of measure used. Uh, but different measures are used in different buildings. And so in the history, originally it was equipment in the megalithic. But as time passed, we know that notions of God particularly were strong alongside all the other things in the, in the ancient Near East, with the Sumerians initiating uh, a lot of the things that we now routinely use it as, as numbers and also using numbers to account for things. So numbers took on a different use as well. But they became obsessed with uh, astrology and portents uh, and, and, you know, to a certain degree, trying to find out what God wanted because the, the planets took on the nature of being gods, which is why we've inherited Zeus, Jupiter, uh, Kronos, Saturn, all the names are all, uh, the gods uh, were considered to be somehow involved in the creation of the world. More of my conversation with Richard Heath when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I drink a cold 16-ounce glass of this amazing herbal non-GMO caffeine-free tea every morning. And I never suffer from bloating. It's as if I'm getting a gentle internal cleanse every day. A healthy colon and a healthy gut is the key to a healthy body. I love the pomegranate, but the peppermint is also refreshing. And just in time for the holidays, go to getthetea.com, getthetea.com. 
and check out the Holiday Special Flavor Pack, which includes a one-month supply each of the Life Change Super Tea, Peppermint, and Pomegranate Cleansing Teas. Life Change Tea is a unique blend of all natural ingredients used with great results for several years. They pride themselves on selling an all-natural USA manufactured product. This special blend aids in maintaining great digestion, and it may aid in boosting your immune system. It may also help cleanse your body from unwanted intruders. This gentle daily cleanse helps to prevent buildup in your colon, which is key in maintaining normal digestive health. Stay happy and healthy with Life Change Teas from GetTheTea.com. Use the code word UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Get your tea from GetTheTea.com. Theoretical physicists say that there is as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Richard Heath, the author of Sacred Geometry, Language of the Angels, is here. Earlier you talked about musical ratios. I'd like to revisit that. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, my little studio beneath the stairs sits right below our, our music room, and I hear my boys practicing piano. And mm. um, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to know what that relationship is, the musical ratios, with this angelic number science. Well, there are three types of number relationship that, um, first of all, it was applied to astronomy, then it was applied to uh, measuring the Earth itself, because they ended up with a very good, a very good estimate of the size of the Earth and its, and its shape as you travel northwards, it's called a geoid. And today, you know, it's, 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 it's virtually identical with today's geoids. Uh, and but they're simple, they had a simple system using pi. Well, those sort of applications uh, are different to this uh, uh, more religious application of of going beyond the sun relative to the moon. They naturally were already looking at triangles uh, with the moon as, as the base, and that taking that baseline, you can go on and you look at um, Saturn. It's three hundred and seventy-eight days before the sun again, uh, well, the, the Earth again, comes between Saturn and the sun. And when that happens, all the outer planets do a loop in the sky. And so you measure between those loops and you have what's called a synodic period. So they are advancing slowly through the zodiac. And we can see that that if you divide the baseline of the moon's year by 15, then uh, take that unit, the 15th, and 16 of them gives you the synod of, of Saturn. And if you divide the lunar by uh, into eight parts, then nine of those same parts raised up, but connected at the one end and then raised up above the other end, of the moon, uh, you end up with a triangle that's nine to eight. And the, the, these ratios are fundamental to music, and the, the human ear uh, can, can hear these uh, 
these perfect turns. And that was the basic basis of ancient number science, uh, uh, because by the time of Pythagoras, we all see we see him using using a monochord to to find out what happens in the musical world according to the length of strings that are held at the same tension. And uh, through this, they they the the thought is that Pythagoras developed his numerical thinking about octaves and a whole set of diagrams and other things that I, I show in the book and relate to very sophisticated ideas in the ancient world because they had computation by then. They could calculate things. They didn't have to use numbers as lengths or geometries. Um, you know, they could multiply one number by another. So, uh, or they could add something so many times. And the, the Egyptians and others, they uh, their scribes built, I believe, uh, large pictures of harmonics. And the most fundamental part of this would be the differences between the planets. So, the, uh, and the I believe that the symbolism that's used in the uh, the great documents, you know, like the Hindu texts or in the uh, Home, Homer's epics, these stories have codes in them, just like the Bible. And the, the Bible is the most ultimate example of a text because it's it's a history, but it's also full of incredible ancient symbolism and the notion that uh, Adam effectively has a number that's associated with musical harmony. And so uh, he, uh, and then the, 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 the people, the children of Israel emerge after his number of 45 is doubled and doubled and doubled. So, uh, so that Isaac dies at, at 180 whilst his mother, Sarah, uh, gave, uh, conceived him when she was 90. You see, the, the, silly, the silliness uh, to us of these statements is necessary to carry the story of the musical harmony. That's, and, that's interesting. Yes, it reminds me of the Book of Numbers, which is, you know, yeah. you, you, it, it's just filled with lists and numbers, and you say, mm. why are they giving yeah. us these numbers? What is the point of this? Well, some some of the lists of numbers who, uh, uh, contain significant numbers uh, and a number of people. There was an American, uh, Ernest G. McLean, that did a lot of work on this, and he came out of the Pythagorean tradition, uh, and um, he basically decoded uh, a lot of the major stories, uh, revealing that they were f the, the narrative had been formed by this the sacredization. So in a way, they were creating a numeric form of theology. These harmonics that you speak of, were they used in the creation of the world? In, in, in other words, was the, ah, yes. I guess to put it more poetically, was the world sung into existence? It appears necessary for the, these harmonic ratios to exist because if you look at the, uh, the advent of modern humanity, like I say, it was 200,000 years ago, and Cro-Magnon Man appeared just as the harmonization was being completed. And so the idea that, that, the, uh, that the human species should have evolved this significant stage just as the outer planets were coming into musical harmony, it's a coincidence. And as you know, coincidences are 
hard to accept without an explanation. And I haven't, you know, I can't point exactly to, uh, to I can only point out the coincidence. Uh, and so if we look at the, the stages, the, the megalithic at the end of the um, Stone Age did a piece of work, a significant piece of work, which uh, gave them the modern mind, which would slowly develop in the ancient Near East and elsewhere, and and produce you know the world culture that we live in today. And so the megalithic is is a progenitor culture of a, of a lot of things that we consider to be the most important civilizing things uh, that we that we possess. So we have geometric ratios and, and geometric figures, sacred geometry extant in, in art and architecture. Uh, and so, it, you know, people may think, well, th that's man-made, that could be contrived, except that uh, the same sacred geometry exists in natural forms. We have, uh, we have uh, seashells uh, forming with these kind of logarithmic spirals. We have yeah. honeybees making hexagonal cells to hold their honey. Um, can you give me some other examples of sacred geometry existing in natural form? Well, the Fibonacci series, uh, which was something that was all the rage for me when I was uh, starting writing books, uh, is a process where growth a process of growth if if something if 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 the growth depends on what it is now and what it was before then adding those two things together you get uh, the two numbers so to speak uh, uh, added to each other and so the fibonacci series uh, you know it goes 3 5 8 13 is made up of uh, the two previous numbers added up to get the next one and uh, as it proceeds, it gets closer to the to the golden mean, uh, and so life itself is very much engaged with the number five because the root of five is uh, is five uh, as an integer. So, uh, but we also get six. But six turns up in the um, in the in the crystalline world, the non living world. Uh, we see almost all of the geometries of crystals are based on six. Uh, so where, uh, uh, where that, where life is, the number five seems to be working. Um, and in musical theory, uh, the ancient world on, only uh, well, found a better way of tuning up than just using three. The you know by dividing uh, by dividing into thirds something, you divide by five, it gave perfect cancellation almost to make octaves so that the the, the formation of an octave uh, relies on using the ratio sixteen over fifteen as a semitone, which is the ratio of of Saturn. And in, re in, in reply to that, to make these these octaves, uh, the nine to the eight to nine ratio of Jupiter, and then they had to have a, another type of whole tone, which was ten over nine. So all these very simple numbers 
uh, create what we call uh, uh, our, you know, our music, uh, even though it's become sophisticated now. So all of this uh, was uh, it means that that the world can be seen through the Fibonacci series through. Uh, the, also, this the square root of three, which you often find as well, uh, uh, and these re- these these relationships also coming out in the sky. So there is a sort of relationship between the sky and the earth, uh, and so it's like every feature uh, seems to be driven by number. Because when you get onto the physical earth, uh, numbers matter. You know, if you've got two. You've got to have two objects, and you've got another object. You know, uh, then they're going to be three objects long, and it, it's, you know, as this this is a very special place that we live in, the surface of a planet, and and to live in the solidness of of an environment, because it's a bit like the mind. You can't have a mind if things are not staying where they're put. You know, if you can't, if you, if you, if you, if, if, if we didn't have objects that stayed what they were, if they were gaseous or liquid or in any other state, the the Earth wouldn't make any sense at all. Uh, right, so, right. Yeah, it's yes. dependent upon fixity. It, yeah, it's a very high value of fixity, where, where normally we are fighting fixity to change, but but the fixity thing is really useful. Which is interesting, and I don't know if this is an area that that you you delve into, but that fixity. I mean, w- with with the advent of this electronic age and the digital age, that fixity seems to be disappearing. We are. Uh, it's almost as if we are being uh, pulled out of our bodies, uh, living in this digital age. We're kind of living at the speed of light. Fixity seems to be disappearing. It does seem true that we don't have any control over what's happening to us now. Uh, you know, we are shaped by the gadgets uh, and and by the, uh, you know, the things are being changed. And, of course, there's a real problem to do with the uh, the so-called free market economy is that, is that uh, it, it carries these poisonous concepts such as uh, uh, drip down economics or something you know people benefit slightly by being very rich people and so on so what what you've got are are um, poorly developed intellectually and very little verified uh rules of thumb are being used uh, which have displaced the traditional society over the course of hundreds of years i mean it wasn't as if traditional societies are perfect either but the, you, you're absolutely correct in saying that it's painful today for people who want to have a, um, uh, a, a, a more relaxed or more – because we're being interfered with so much from the outside, our opinions are not our own. Right, right. Having an opinion really also depends on fixity. But if things are moving yeah. around, you can't form an opinion – because we're neither here nor there. But uh, further to that point, you know, this idea that we are out of harmony uh, and and no longer, I suppose, living uh, or utilizing maybe the sacred geometry, uh, there is this whole conspiracy theory revolving around the changing in, in musical tuning from 
432 yes. hertz to 440 hertz. And then, and then as a sort of a separate but perhaps related, we moved away from, you know, the, uh, uh, the um, what did you call it, the lunar yard? Uh, and the, into, megalithic. the megalithic yard and into, into the metric system. Uh, I'm wondering if, if this has almost been by design to cut us off from the mm. angelic mind. Well, the interesting story about the meter is that uh, it fits quite well into the ancient system of measures. And in fact, the group that I knew, I heard of in Karnak, the French, uh, French association, uh, they analyzed many of the uh, big-sized alignments there in meters and came up with something uh, from that. And um, the, we, if I take, for instance, the 440 and the 432, 440 is actually a, a sacred number because it is the size of the of the pole of the earth relative to 441 uh, of the radius of the of the mean earth so it's a very important ratio and so 440 is not actually non it's, it is traditional and the 432 is very much tied in with the yuga cycles and it's because it's a very very harmonic number it hasn't got the number 11 in it like 440 has four times four 11 is 44. So um, in this work, you can see into numbers because you use the factors, you see, because if you've got an inconvenient factor, it, it sort of propagates, uh, whereas all the nice harmonic numbers are 2, 3, and 5. And so uh, 4, 3, 2 is a, is, a, is a harmonic number used in the Yuga cycle, but seen everywhere to do with floods and many other things. Uh, 8, 6, 4, which is twice of that. Uh, and the, um, the the mean Earth latitude is is eight six four zero zero latitudinal feet. So, you know, in a way, uh, all of the systems are there. But of course, we don't. Napoleon, who was responsible really uh, after the revolutionary France for the eventual metrification of everything, which we've now rejected, by the way, in Britain. You're not forced to be metric here, and I don't think you're forced ever were you in um, in in United States. Correct. No, yeah. they're still on the imperial. We're in Canada. We're on the metric system. That oh, happened. Sorry, that happened Canada. in the uh, mid mid nineteen seventies. Uh, I was in grade school, so I still I still have one foot in the one foot <laughs> in the imperial system, <laughs> and one foot in the metric system. Uh, uh, it must be unbalanced. It is. I also sort of sit astride this, uh, as many of us do now. That you know the the analog and the digital world. Um, I wanted to uh, also ask you about the uh, the Great Conjunction, which uh, is happening uh, today, the 21st, as we record this. Yeah. And, and um, uh, the, the, the meaning uh, of this, this conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, I, I believe it was um, Johannes Kepler who said that, yes. that this also happened in, uh, in 7 BC which may coincide with the, uh, the biblical account of the birth of Christ and the, 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 the astrologers, the magi who, who followed or were observing this great conjunction in anticipation of the birth of a king. Talk to me about the, the significance from your perspective 
uh, or the perspective of, of sacred geometry, let's say, of the Great Conjunction? Well, this one's unusual because it's occurring during the uh, the winter solstice. Exactly. Um, and as you perhaps know, it's called the trigon. Uh, and over three of them, they form an equilateral triangle, if you if you draw the circle, as being the zodiac. So, but they slightly, uh, it's retrograde, and then it's slightly advanced. So it's slowly, slowly moving. And so uh, it became linked to the precession of the equinoxes uh, because it was a, an intermediate form of big time, great time. And uh, interestingly, when you look at the precession of the equinox and the, uh, the nodal cycle of the moon over 18.6 years, they're both deviations because the moon is, is deviated from the ecliptic by a significant number of degrees. And uh, the Earth's pole is similarly shifted from the, uh, the polar axis of the solar system. And this causes a pull on, on, on the rotating Earth that causes the precessional effect. Uh, and it also causes the moon's orbit to uh, rotate uh, backwards, so retrograde, and it, over 6,800 days. Now, if you take 6,800 days, divide it by 15, like we did for, for Saturn, multiply it by 16, you will get very closely the trigon period of just less than 19 years. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, when we look at uh, the, uh, the phenomenon of, of crop circles, and, and many of them appear to be uh, fractals, uh, obviously very complex geometric designs. I don't know if, you, if this is something that you've explored, but do you think it's possible that these are some sort of angelic communication? Well, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. But one interesting thing is where they appear. But we have a selection effect where we tend to see them near places like Stonehenge. And we have people who go up in helicopters and photograph them, catalog them. And um, it, you can go to temporary temples. Uh, that's a very interesting site of people who do that. And it appears to be, be an earth mystery. It's a modern earth mystery. Uh, uh, and, you know, people used to accuse John Michel, who did all this other work with Stonehenge and, and other things, of being in some way involved with it. And, and then the tabloids in this country, they, they got involved in, uh, first of all, producing great double-page spreads of them. Uh, you know, it was unbelievable to see that. But then uh, interest waned, uh, and it's not really of much public interest anymore. But the selection effect... Uh, I believe they do appear in, in other uh, countries uh, around the place, but and it may be that it's not been noticed. Uh, uh, but another explanation might be that that they're appearing near where the megalithic culture was, and that would be interesting because that could be not. It could be somehow a resonance between the work that was done and and these other things. But how it could be done, some people definitely have falsified them. Yes, without question, without question. Yeah. And so they come in different categories, but some of them are so exquisite and l large and 
and accurately performed and it would be impossible to get in there with a board to flatten all the stuff. Uh, and they found evidence of, of plasmas having been used on some of the stalks, if you can see that, they explode and they, it cuts and the stalk falls beautifully from that node. Yes, yes, that, that, that cannot be uh, uh, manufactured by strapping boards on the bottom of boots. Yes. Uh, yeah, and another, another idea is that, is that the Ministry of Defense are involved in some way. I, I've known a few uh, crop circle researchers who have, t have discussed that uh, and how they were behind, um, in some way, perhaps the uh, the hoax. And uh, uh, also, uh, people have reported seeing you know these mysterious black helicopters in the yes. uh, the area of these uh, crop circles. Uh, the language of angels is it two way communication? Uh, in other words, when we are engaged in. Uh, I don't know, geometry, trigonometry, uh, are we in some way communicating with angels? I think if we go back to what I said about intelligence, that intelligence, um, when, you, when you study something that's intelligently made or, or, you know, that communicates a whole world of information like the world we live in, uh, and puts it in a simple understanding that 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 form of intelligence uh, we don't it, it it negates separations because you know when you really appreciate something that somebody's done uh, it's as if you are speaking with them or you're with them so I I, I don't underestimate. Uh, that the practice of, of intelligence can become the practice of higher intelligence. And that's one of the things that I think is true about uh, working with these numbers, is that we need to conserve the true intellectual history of the megalithic world. And um, by calling it uh, an angelically inspired subject that they studied, I am, I, am, I am not suggesting that they had two-way communication uh, with angels because angels, it's not necessary because then we're looking for communication like we communicate. But really, the structure of the, uh, the planetary system seen from Earth is a communication. And we've lost contact with it. Uh, and this is not helping us. Because if we don't realize that, that the Earth is a very special place, then we can destroy it. If we don't believe that the Moon is a very special orbiting body, which may be having effects on us, uh, uh, positive effects on us, uh, to make life possible on Earth, uh, then we, you know, we could land a 10-ton truck on it every day. And so, you know, we, we really must, mustn't mess, mess with our solar system, uh, mess with our moon. And, of course, we, shouldn't, we need to realize that we're messing with our planet. And recovering this knowledge uh, as, of the megalithic intellectual life, I think, will put it in perspective because we'll be able to see the order that was under trouble in order to come to the point we're at today 
five billion years. Sacred Geometry, Language of the Angels. How do we get a copy, Richard? <laughs> uh, well, uh, Simon Schuster as a distributor, uh, they, um, in a traditions, sell the book, and it's uh, widely available. And on my website, which I think you, uh, we should mention, uh, I have many articles and other things which are not in the book, and I will put things there that are supportive to it as well. So if you'd like to drop into uh, sacred.numbersciences.org, um, I think you'll enjoy that website. Uh, and uh, on the right-hand side, there is a panel showing all the different ways that you can buy the books or my other books. Fantastic. Richard, a great pleasure meeting you. Thank you for spending some time. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to share a few words about the next installment of Conspiracy Unlimited. C60 Evo's Miracle Molecule ESS60 makes a great gift for conscious people and their pets. Why not give the gift of radiant health to everyone on your list this Christmas? ESS60, the powerful antioxidant, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory in a bottle. ESS60 is the purest form of C60 available anywhere from C60 Evo. Benefits include increased strength, flexibility, immunity, and better sleep. Check out the great gift sets now available at special holiday discount prices. C60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. C60evo.com slash Richard hyphen Serrett. Take 15% off your order with the coupon code JOLLY15RS. That's JOLLY15RS. Coming up next time, a special Christmas edition of Conspiracy Unlimited with documentary filmmaker Ali Siadatan. We'll discuss a puzzle buried within the pages of the Bible that reveals the identity of Christ before he was even born. This idea that the shepherds would flock to him and foreign kings would come to him and bring gifts to him, all of these things have been spoken in God's word beforehand. And so who were these kings? Where did they come from? And why was it that the first people that ever heard about this important man were shepherds? There are reasons for all of these things. Again, there's a coded symbolic language that tells a much larger and deeper spiritual story, but it's a real story. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. 
Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.